welcome to the AFC's podcast. Just as a reminder, you can watch our beautiful faces on YouTube, or if you're on the go, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and CastBox. My name is Victoria Fragnito. I'm Jim Galizia, and today we're going to have a fun podcast. We're going to talk with Chris Benucci. He's a filmmaker, he's a producer, he is a live content creator, uh, live streaming content creator. And we're going to talk to him about him and his career and his movie choice, Drive. 2011 uh bloody movie you weren't expecting it you were mentioning before we hopped in the podcast you were like yeah. i wasn't ready but no i was not and i am the most squeamish person ever i'm very thankful that i was drinking alcohol while i was watching it <laughs> bad move uh so I, I at the one part um spoiler alert when brian cranston gets killed i i like i had a like full body reaction to it i couldn't <laughs> gonna happen and they were very good at like building the tension and then mm-hmm. it happened so quick and you're like ah oh no huh yeah, yeah. Work for the viewers too we'll talk about this more later but what else have you been up to besides watching movies that make you freak out uh <laughs> um well my uh, newest play had a, a live stream uh, with The Tank, uh, an up-and-coming off-off-Broadway house in, in New York. Uh, so How'd that that, go? It, it went well. I think we got a, we got a lot of views um, and a lot of really great feedback. Um, now it's just the waiting game. If any of the theaters that I invited to see it are interested in taking it further when all this COVID mess is done. Yeah. Um, so. waiting until it's done to like make those decisions because i'm sure a lot of them are like we don't even know what we're doing yet well a lot of them had to put their seasons on hold i was actually originally um my play scar tissue which went up earlier in the summer with she nyc um was originally supposed to go up with the tank in august um but when everything shut down in march they and i i received an email from she nyc saying that my play had gotten accepted I, I emailed them i was like um what's going on is it still happening in august i have this other opportunity but i need to make a decision quick they were like we have to reschedule and this was in march um they have the tank is crazy with how how much uh work by emerging artists that they put out there. They do put a lot of work out there. Um, and they said that they had like over a hundred performances at that point that they had to reschedule. So I should just take the opportunity. Yeah. And well, so now, now we're six months into this thing. Um, and so, so many theaters have to reschedule all of the contracts that they had for, you know, new plays, world premiere plays, um, with all these artists that they had before, it's going to be a lot of, you know, remounting what was already scheduled. Um, so as far as like new opportunities, that's going to be difficult to, to get back into it. If, if there's a difficulty for, uh, for that organization to really keep up because now they have double the content to put out, it might be an opportunity to for them to expand or for them to for another organization to pop up to offer what that organization no longer could because of everything pushed back it sounds like a good problem to have to have a lot of content to put out but hopefully that doesn't mean half of that content is forgotten so yeah 
I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, just like, uh, you know, live events and, and, and things like that happening right now, theaters in the country are definitely, um, a couple of them are closing for good, um, already because of it. Um, just because, I mean, Broadway will be fine. <laughs> Broadway will always be fine. They have very deep pockets. It'll be okay. Some of the shows may not come back, but like another show will come in to take its place. The smaller venues and the smaller theaters that, you know, turn on a dime, they're the ones that might have a problem um, staying open and, and, and continuing and they on. They reopen if, if they reopen anytime soon it's going to be at like 25% capacity or something and it's just not going to be the same. Right. Well, and, and I mean, I work for a really small indie Shakespeare company in New York and, you know, ticket prices, you have to keep them low enough so that people will want to pay to come to your little indie show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that doesn't even cover the cost of like renting out the venue and rehearsal space. We're lucky in that we don't, um, we don't own a theater space. We don't rent a theater space. So we don't have to like worry about how we're paying for that. Our staff was all volunteers. We're not, you know, paid for our time. This is, we do this because we love it. So like, we're not worried about losing money that way, but there are so many theater companies that are. Yeah. That's crazy. It's rough. Um, I I saw something funny on the internet that kind of made it a little less awkward to be in a place that usually has more people. Uh, and I think okay. it would work once theaters start opening up Broadway shows. And I wanted to get your opinion on it because I walked past a restaurant. Or re- I didn't walk past a restaurant, but if you walked past a restaurant that is usually crazy busy, but because of COVID, obviously, n- now indoor dining is starting to happen little by little. Not in the city, not in Astoria, but outside of there, like out in Long Island, they have out- indoor dining some places. They started putting it because you have to block off half your tables. You can only have a certain capacity. They started putting fully dressed mannequins. Oh, no. <laughs> I know it sounds creepy, but they're, they're all yeah. dressed in, like normal clothes and stuff. And they're all yeah, but... <laughs> like hanging out with their mannequin friends. And then that creates, it's better than, it's better than putting up a line of caution tape because then it looks like you're in a hazard area. Or you it... could just take the seat, the tables away put them yeah, away from there. It looks like a busy hopping restaurant. People want to go in, even though you can't right. so many people, but I think- right. the- Well, it could still look like a busy hopping restaurant if all the available tables are full. Now, what if you're in, okay, go, you're going into a Broadway show. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're the first one to walk in and there's already like a hundred mannequin heads just sitting still. That would be my nightmare. That would be my nightmare. I'd turn around and ask for a refund, walk out, bye. Lights would flicker slightly, and nope. then all the mannequins that are they're all facing this way, the lights would flicker, and then they would all be facing this way at the same time. Uh uh-uh. And then you would go, I hate you. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna skip Lion King on Broadway because that was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Uh, I think they did that on Doctor Who. There was like the statues that if you if you're looking at them, they can't move, but if you look away, they come at you. That's scary. Yeah, so that like Doctor Who, like every time he blinks, they like jump a little bit. I, I forget exactly how it worked. I didn't really watch Doctor Who. I'm sure someone's listening to this and going, nah, that's not how it works. Um, but I saw- Well, comment on this podcast and tell us that we got it wrong, please. <laughs> yeah, 
nerd because I just said all that. But uh, I recently, I just had a short film that I shot over the weekend. We had to postpone half of it, which was the meat and potatoes of the whole thing. Uh, it's a Friday the 13th fan film. It seems really cool. It's called Seasons of the Huntsman. It's before Jason, the guy with the hockey mask, he becomes, eventually he becomes like a zombie. And that's kind of what everybody recognizes him as because he's just like unkillable. Yeah. Um, but we're filming it like before he became that. And he's just like a serial killer. And he's not really even serial killer. He's more of just like a huntsman. He's, that's why we're calling it Seasons of the Huntsman. Uh, he wanders the woods and he just protects his area. And if you wander in, he kills you. Very simple. Uh, but it was cool. We, we shot in New Jersey. I'm currently scratching mosquito bites because there are so many bugs out there. Yeah. Uh, that was a little tricky. And it rained so bad on Saturday, we had to postpone all that stuff with, with our actors and things. But we did get a chance to film all the cool Jason content of him just walking around the woods. And it was creepy and lots of cool shadows and things like that. It's also filmed in the daytime. So it's more, it's less of like spooky and horror. It's like a daytime scary situation. It's a little, I think that's even scarier because it's like real regular day. If it's, if it's at night, you're kind of getting away with stuff. But yeah, when it's, when it's during the day, it's even freakier because it's like in your face murder. So, <laughs> but uh, looking- How'd it feel to be back on set? It was great to be back on set. I just wish my set wasn't full of mosquitoes. Fair, fair. But, can't complain. I'll take what I can get. You know, everybody was very careful. Everybody was, you know, had proper PPE and the protective gear and stuff like that. So everybody, you know, was wary of coronavirus. And it was funny too, because we were like, well, I guess Jason doesn't need a mask because he's already wearing a hockey mask. He actually has, our, our actor has a full head of hair and a beard, but he put on like this silicone head mask that wrapped around it everywhere but his face and then mm -hmm. he put a hockey mask over that so when he took that off it was super funny and he, he he didn't have like a dark intimidating voice or anything so when he's in the jason mask and he takes a couple steps and it's so scary because he's a huge dude and this big muscly jason costume he looks terrifying then he turns around and goes do you think i hit my mark correctly and i was like <laughs> uh, it was a fun time i liked being back on set uh, I wasn't too worried about COVID or anything. It was only like five, four or five of us at any point in time. So um, that stuff didn't really bother me. I wasn't too worried, um, especially like out in the middle of the woods. You know, we weren't anywhere near where we could think we might get COVID. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we can slowly but surely make our way back to some sort of normal um, I wish they weren't using schools and teachers to be like the guinea pigs of that because that's what they're kind of doing with restaurants and stuff. But they did also got an email yesterday. Planet Fitness and us by us in Astoria is reopening on yep. tomorrow. New York Sports Club is as well. Um, so I mean, I'm not going back to there. I've got my whole at home workout routine. Not going back. I work out. But <laughs> Why would I do that to myself? I'm gonna go eat some McDonald's right after this. Um, I mean, it's, it's good to see things opening back up. I love that it's all happening, but I'm not gonna be the one to risk it. 
because there's no biscuit. There's no, there's no like if, if somebody else wants to risk it and go out and then they get COVID, I'll be like, see, that's why mm -hmm. I died. There are very few things that I would I would risk that exposure for, and the gym is not one of them. <laughs> right. If I want to hurt myself, I'll just do. I'll eat McDonald's. That's the I'll hurt myself in the opposite way. You know, that's what the gym is. You hurt yourself and become stronger because of it. So I don't. And that's what McDonald's does for you. It hurts you, but it doesn't make you stronger. <laughs> that's the problem. I don't understand why I eat this cheeseburger and I feel terrible, but I don't feel better later. Mm. That's what working out is supposed to do, right? Uh, yeah, in very basic terms, sure. <laughs> that's that's like one, if you had a paragraph about what working out is, that's, that's it, one sentence. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's totally randomly segue into yes, let's do it. our day player. He brought a clip from 90s MTG. It is a weekly or bi-weekly. I think he does it whenever him and his friends can all kind of get together. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a live show where they play Magic the Gathering, which is really cool. And they've been playing since the 90s. So this is going on for years and years, which is really awesome. And now they're live streaming it for people. They started doing it during coronavirus and stuff. It's good to see people creating that content, even when you can't go out and do go-making, um, especially with like with us, with the AFC podcast. We started doing this on Zoom and everything. So it's cool to see that content is still coming out. So let's show a clip from Chris Benucci for 90s MTG, and then we'll bring Chris on and we'll talk to him. MTG, a show about Magic the Gathering. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? 90s MTG is my latest project. been working on it since December of 2019. Um, started with a group of friends filming some games at uh, events that we were all going to. And with COVID, moved to uh, filming each other playing remotely on webcam. Now it's it's a card game. It's it's not a it's not a digital video game or anything like that. Are either of you familiar with the game? 
Yeah, I, it. it became really, really popular when I was doing a summer stock in Pennsylvania, summer stock theater, and everyone in all the Shakespeare shows was obsessed with it. I never really got into it, but literally the second, like, we were done with rehearsal, they would all, like, pull out the cards and get Okay, yeah, yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, 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 it, it, it's very popular, but um, I think when most people hear game, they, at least these days, they think of, like, a video game. This is just a card game. So you kind of need to gather in a group, right, to, to play together. But you can't do that right now. So we've been playing on webcam and uh, live streaming on Twitch. Um, this was all new to me and new to everybody else in the group. Um, the production side of it, I knew how to do. But um, I guess, I guess it was, we were forced to do this by the situation we're all in. And uh, it, it's going really well. Uh, we've had some of the biggest stars of the game come play on our show you know people that play the game professionally and that's cool um, it's been a lot of fun so i can't really complain <laughs> know about I, I know there's a group of voiceover actors that do like a dungeons and dragons style game but they you know they're like the voices of all the most popular video game characters like victoria's smiling because she knows exactly what i'm talking about but they yeah. they host their own game and then they do the voices is it anybody we would, we would know or is it all more Dungeons and Dragons? They're famous in that community. Kind yeah. So the, the people we've had are, are uh, we call them magic famous. You know, they're, they're just <laughs> famous within the Magic the Gathering community. If you don't play the game, you might not have heard of them. Right. Yeah. But um, what's cool about it is the, the community behind this game, I'm playing the game. And the reason why it's called 90s MTG is because I'm playing since the 90s. I'm playing when the game first came out in the mid nineties. So we've attracted this audience of people that are playing for a long time and um, are kind of trying to keep playing games with other people in person alive with us, so to speak. So we, we've kind of, um, with the help of some of the stars of the game, built this very passionate community around our show, which is, which is kind of nice. You know, people, yeah, awesome. people love the hobby and, and they're, very interested in not just the content but also like they see us as doing some some good in the world keeping you know playing games with your friends alive you know a lot of the simple things during all this covid and coronavirus nonsense like you take the little things for granted and you kind of notice it in times like this where you're like it's just good to like sit around and play some cards with friends you know it's just it's good vibes everybody likes it and it's, it's takes your mind off of all the craziness things that other things that are going on too um yeah I, ha I had a similar experience just this last weekend had to or i went out to new jersey and shot a short film it's a fan film for friday the 13th mm -hmm. and had a great time and there's just this super little bubble passionate group of people that are over there that just love this character so much and they're cranking out there's like a bunch of different groups doing different fan films and they love all of them they're just like more <laughs> they can't get enough of the character so it's cool when you find that like perfect target audience and you give them exactly what they've been looking for or what what they were looking for you know they're very passionate about it and i've never yeah. been into a dungeons and dragons or magic the gathering or anything like that but also like jason i was never a big horror person we've talked about it on the podcast before but there's such a passionate fan group behind it that it, it makes it really cool when you see them like nerding out over like a machete, you know, <laughs> yeah, with, like superheroes or Marvel or anything like that. 
So it's it's cool to like see other people in their own fandom and doing their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's there's passionate fans of the hobby, and and it's the kind of thing where when when I started doing it too, I way back in December before COVID, I was just kind of messing around with friends. Like I didn't think this was going to be a thing, but it took for COVID to happen. And we started like trying to play on webcam and a couple of friends of ours, um, shout out to Roland Chang, our, our ringleader. He suggested that we start streaming on Twitch. And um, it was, I, I think it was at that point where I realized like there's a nail and we can just hammer that nail for, for, for a while. And, and it worked. So it feels good to be a part of something that, it's almost the first project I've worked on where I felt like my audience loves it and it's my thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's my thing and I'm speaking directly to the audience and they want to hear what I have to say. Um, yeah. So that, that part of it is really cool. Well, well, tell us a little bit about some of the other projects you've worked on. How, how'd you get started in the industry? Yeah. So um, let's see. I'm working in the industry for 10 years now. I, I started just as soon as I got out of college, um, mentored under a still photographer for a while who also worked on films and videos, did some of my own short film work, built a portfolio, you know, everything that they tell people to do when they first start out in the industry, PA work, the whole thing. Um, over time I built my own business, um, been self-employed through my adult life. Um, I'm proud of that. Most things I've worked on over the years have been commercial, um, corporate stuff. Um, I've done a lot of advertising just in general, ads for social media, TV commercials, all the way down to like a coffee shop really needs shots for their menu. You know, I, I've done everything, almost everything I've done was related to some advertising in some degree. Um, which is great. You know, you can build a career off that. I do need a creative outlet once in a while though. So I do work on short films for festivals and, and, um, little passion projects here and there like nineties MTG. Um, yeah, I think when we, oh, yeah, was it a kid split or a fat llama? There's like a gear rental website, like meetup. Yeah. Yes. That, that is where we met. Um, yeah. It was just like a, I think you had a 360 camera on you and I was just like, oh shit. And I think we took a 360 photo. I think we have that somewhere. Maybe I can yes. use it in the podcast, but uh, it was just, it was, that fascinated me. Cause I think that was like when 360 was getting a little bit more commonly used and yeah. like you already knew what you were doing with it. So we were like blown away by you <laughs> kind of a little bit, <laughs> uh, but the, some of yeah. those photos too, the 360 photos, they're insane. They're you know what yeah. it is? Lamar blew it up when he did that music video where he's riding the bike. Yep. Like yep. He's riding the bike and the whole world's moving, but he's staying still. I think that yeah. blew it up. The tiny planet shot. Yeah. Tiny planet shot. Um, yeah. I, I guess to like um, kind of continue my, my career story, um, I eventually picked up the 360 cameras. And just became infatuated with that. I, I was like obsessed with my 360 camera. To this day, I almost always have a 360 camera from the day I met you till now on my person <laughs> and like taking pictures of something. Like I just love the 360 camera so much. Um, like can you reach it? <laughs> Is it that close? Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, there's two on my desk right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're right here. This is the GoPro Max 360 camera. I have two of them. Um, but yeah, they're always around. <laughs> That's funny. But um, And then I've also been bookmarked in most people's minds in the industry as the drone guy. I do a lot of work with drones. Um, I've worked as a drone operator for, let me think, it's like three or four years now professionally um, on movie sets and commercial sets and for sports and entertainment. Operated a um, remote control blimp at Madison Square Garden for Knicks and Rangers games. Um, done a lot of cool projects, been a lot of cool adventures with drones. Um, so that's just something of the last couple of years. Um, Skill set wise, I've picked up and, and really stuck with. And yeah, I think that summarizes what, what, I'm, what I do. <laughs> drone work can be fun. I mean, it, it's, you're getting probably the most dramatic or awesome shot from a lot of different projects. Well, I, I do drone work, but very limitedly. Like, I don't even do it. I let someone else do it, but I'm like, we need yeah. to do it. Uh, I do yeah, yeah. weddings and stuff like that. But it just, it's something that's so small and used minimally, but it enhances everything in such a way. It's really changed the game of the project a little bit. Uh, but it's yeah. even more in a commercial sense because you're doing it at like events and doing event coverage with it, uh, which is really cool especially at like a Rangers game or a Knicks game. But I'm sure COVID has basically just made you unemployed in that factor because they're just not doing those anymore right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody probably knows this already and, it, and it's a super bummer, but uh, a lot of people lost their livelihoods from uh, COVID in the, in the sports and entertainment industry. And, you know, everything from theater to, to the people that are vendors at the sports games. It, it sucks. And any, anywhere where there was a crowd, you know, those people are in tough times right now. Victoria. Fortunately. Yeah. Hosting yeah. Online plays, essentially the plays you wrote are all just being written and filmed online. What, what's that been like, Victoria? I know we're interviewing Chris here, but. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. It's, it's obviously, it's not the medium that you want it to be in. And it's, it's hard because you're not actually in the room. You're not connecting with people. And then you're not also like connecting with the audience and getting the energy and the feedback from them. But, you, you know, like you're doing with, um, you know, MTG 90, it, you have to keep doing something, you know, you yeah. have to let, like, I can't sit here and sit on my plays and just let them kind of atrophy until the world gets back up and moving, um, you know, and we can't just keep doing that because this is taking a lot longer than I think anyone thought it would and it's continuing to take a lot longer than people thought it would so I mean I have a lot of friends who um are uh like stagehands and they work at like concert venues and you know live music events and and things like that and you know they're completely decimated right now like they have no income they have and it's it's really hard especially like, like chris you said you're like self-employed and a lot yeah. of this stuff is gig work so yep. it's like you know i have a friend who's um, a lighting designer and she's extremely talented um and she posted the other day about all her events from march through the end of the year have been canceled so that's over i think 14 grand um 
that's just gone and she has no way to replace replace it so it's you know it's it's tough and it sucks and you know this obviously you have to find outlets to keep yourself afloat and keep yourself you know yeah moved. yeah we've been yeah, like have this podcast and kind of been able to talk to different filmmakers and people in the industry and actors and stuff so it's it's been cool to be able to flex that just with this group and do this kind of a thing where you just kind of meet people and talk to them about films and cameras and stuff like that yeah um i guess this is your outlet you know this is this is your way of kind of not just coping but also like creating something that you know people can enjoy that, that that's really why we do it right we, we want to make people laugh or make people think about stuff or um, just kind of talk to people, have a one-way conversation with people, right? <laughs> say what we want to say and they have to listen, right? Right. <laughs> um, I get that. <laughs> uh, we also play video games too. Victoria's a huge nerd as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, four games, Spider-Man, The Last of Us, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there, there's just so many, I think gaming too, I, I was reading something online Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, was the one. He gave, like, a TED Talk, and he said, like, gaming video games are, like, the next big thing. Like, if movies kind of die down because it's tough to make movies, nerds can sit behind a computer and make a video game still. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. They're artists, and they're brilliant. Uh, but, you know, video games might be a even bigger medium for storytelling and things like that moving forward. So. Yeah. I think also the the... And it took for me to start doing it, the streaming on Twitch to realize this, but the future is also live content. Like being able to, and I've never done this before, that this was new to me, but being able to be making a show, a podcast, whatever, and the audience can ask me questions while I'm doing it is, is like an audience, uh, is an, sorry, an audience experience that I wasn't really uh, thinking about using when I was creating content, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, you can, you can have, like, you can have right now, uh, someone emailed you guys questions to ask me, but that's not the same experience as us talking right now. And there's a, there's a chat box and someone asks right now a question that they thought of because of something I said 10 seconds ago. Yeah. And that's really cool. Well, I like Twitch, especially too. Uh, we, we plan to start for my company, start using it for weddings. Uh, because mm -hmm. so many people getting married now in very small bubbles because they can't have large groups. Yeah. We're like we want to stream and we kind of thought about it and we were like, what format is best for grandma who can't figure out how to use her computer? It's Oof, probably yeah. <laughs> because if she clicks a link, it opens onto the page and if we're streaming, she'll see it. So yeah. Yeah. you don't have to like plan a show and have a link in advance and YouTube, you need a certain amount of subscribers so we kind of landed on Twitch as like the weird, weirdly enough, if you want to stream your wedding, Twitch seems like a really good option. And then people, of course, they can comment and say like, oh my God, you look so great. Your dress is amazing. Like on their- <laughs> <laughs> Or they could say your dress sucks. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully everyone attending your Twitch live stream of your wedding are all um, fans. And yeah, are, but that- <laughs> <laughs> be careful streaming your wedding everybody right. no, i'm just kidding i'm, I'm totally kidding like, it's funny though there are a lot of trolls for me to come to the real wedding i have to go to the twitch one cool you're dressed yeah. 
<laughs> you can tell you could tell those relatives what you really think on Twitch, right? Right. <laughs> it's easier to be a troll when you're online and you have to look the person in the face. But exactly, I, exactly. Too when you're live streaming, because somebody can come in and start just being a troll. Have you had that yeah. interaction with anybody yet? Has anyone tried to? I mean, trolls in Magic: The Gathering—they're pretty normal, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, in 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 any almost any topic that exists on the internet, there are trolls. But um, I, meant, like, I, I, yeah. I haven't had it that bad, honestly. I, I I've had people kind of uh, latch on to certain things about the topics I talk about or the things I like about the game and stuff like that. And um, more or less I've had positive trolls, if that makes sense. Like people just kind of continually comment and write, write me messages about things I've said, but because they like it. Mm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I, I guess I've had people that. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I guess it's like fans, yeah, but... If it's getting a problem, then maybe like stalkers. I don't know if you need... <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they're like at your window in a couple of weeks, like, hey, I really love what you did with those Magic the Gathering cards, maybe you'd be like, maybe stay off my stream for a, buddy, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think you just find both in trolls and in people that are like fans, whatever end of the spectrum, you get just people who are passionate about a topic and they either disagree with you very strongly or they agree with you very strongly and they want you to know. Yeah. And that's kind of where you, where you end up. And the ones that disagree with you are trolls and the ones that agree with you are fans. <laughs> they're both watching your show on a regular basis. So they're both basically fans, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people too had these kind of polarizing opinions about, and this is a perfect segue, Drive. Because when it came out, they were yeah. like, oh, this movie is really well made and it's, it's really great. But a lot of people felt very seriously about some of the graphic violence and things that happened in the movie. Uh, but since that's a perfect segue and I'm so good at this, uh, tell us a little bit why you chose Drive. You actually chose like five or six movies, but then we just landed on Drive. Uh, tell us why Drive was one of your, your movie picks um drive is so i don't i don't go to the movie theaters that often uh especially now <laughs> but uh I, I don't watch that many movies i find it very hard to sit through movies i don't know why and you would think you would think that wouldn't be the case because i work in in film but it's true um drive is just another one of the movie one of the movies that i was on my list that i gave you that uh it's kind of bookmarked in my mind as a favorite and um, I love neo-noir crime drama films. Um, the director, and I, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Nicholas Venden Rafe. Rafen? Um, I've watched some of his other films. They're great. Bronson, The Neon Demon, I really liked. Um, Drive also had Ryan Gosling, who I think is a great actor. I, I think he kind of has a reputation because he was in things like the notebook of being in maybe cheesier movies. But I think this is one of his best performances that at least to me feels like makes me feel like Ryan Gosling's a great actor. I um, and I actually think the notebook is great, but similar vibes too. we're not talking about the notebook tonight. Um, he was in that too. And you did great. Yeah. And I also like, well, I like drive for a lot of reasons. But to 
kind of keep it brief before you ask me questions about the movie. The, the soundtrack, the music, I love. I love electronic music. Uh, the soundtrack for this movie, back when the movie came out, I think it was 2011-ish. Yeah. Uh, for like a year, I had it in my iTunes. There was no Spotify at the time, I don't think. And I listened to the soundtrack just by itself when I was on the train. Um, I love the colors. It has like that kind of, um, what's the right word? Just uh, vivid, saturated, colorful vibe to it, which I like. Um, and I think that's it. Just in general. Yeah, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you ask yeah. more questions about the film. I mean, it was, it was a great film. I really enjoy it. I, I saw it back when it first came out, but it was great to rewatch it and just kind of reappreciate it. I totally forgot Brian Cranston was in it. So when I saw yeah. him, I was like, ah, oh, it's Walter White from Breaking Bad. I'm so excited. But uh, of course, I love Brian Cranston. For, he, he can do no wrong. He's awesome in every movie he does. Uh, but it has a really great cast, a lot of really good actors, really, really amazing people. Um, yeah, I remember just looking at the opening credits and all the names that were coming by. I was like, this cast is incredible. Like, it's so many big names. And I know it was like Oscar Isaacs before he was like super well known. Um, yeah, but, yeah. You know, it was, the cast was incredible. Yeah, mm -hmm. agreed. I, um, I, I think that. I don't know this director very well at all. Um, and actually I had, I had never seen Ryan Gosling in anything but the notebook before. Okay. I've yeah. never seen any other film that he's done. Um, and of course I saw the notebook in high school and fell in love with the, you know, typical, you know, falling in love with a romantic story, but it was really good. Um, but I didn't know what to expect. Like I, I have this, I didn't have this preconceived notion of Ryan Gosling as like, not being a good actor and I think it's I I knew he like was solid like the notebook was a really good performance but I noticed that like his trajectory in his career he he's very picky in his films he's not in you know he's not in a film every single year or anything like that he's very picky about what he does um and I think that's why I I had the idea in my mind that like yes he is very talented and and he he picks films very purposefully but i i didn't know what to expect from this film when i was going into it yeah um two two other films i recommend watching if you haven't with ryan gosselin and i hope i get the names of the films right blue valentine mm -hmm. and only god forgives only god forgives is really good it has the last time i checked and it's probably a couple of years ago it had bad ratings on rotten tomatoes the movie is good. Watch it. Okay. Yeah. I don't always go by Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm just... <laughs> I know, but some <laughs> of my friends do. So. <laughs> it's so yeah. off that you're like, come on, that was a good movie. They're, that's why I, I like that they started doing the critic score and the audience score, because sometimes the critics say, this movie's terrible. And the audience is like, screw you. It was great. We enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would consider Rotten Tomatoes, they're almost like the trolls of movies. So we were talking about <laughs> trolls earlier. Sometimes they're trolling movies that you, you know, audience, general audiences think differently than movie critics who would like take it too seriously and try to make it a whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Sometimes we, we've talked about the Oscars before on this podcast and how sometimes they favor a movie that there's just like, we get it. It's a movie. Like some, sometimes they don't need to give that movie all the Oscars. 
And then sometimes you have a movie like Parasite that kind of takes everything by surprise and wins the Oscar last year for best, best film of the year. Um, and I think Drive was one of those movies too that didn't really get all that many awards. I think it got the Oscar for sound editing, but I think that's it. It didn't really get anything else. Uh, pe people gave it standing ovations when it came out. I was looking online, but you know, but when it came time to give some awards out, I think because it was a little bloody, people got deterred from giving it like Oscars and larger name recognition type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I gotta be honest, I don't watch the Oscars. I never know who won an Oscar. I heard about Parasite winning Best Picture because nobody would shut up about it, but I, I don't really pay attention to that. But I will say as far as the, the critics and Rotten Tomatoes and the Oscars and all that stuff, they're trying to more or less decide which movies most people will like. They are trying to find the movie that 95% of people will, will watch and enjoy, right? Well, just for example. Um, whereas maybe Drive or Only God Forgives, especially Only God Forgives, which is a perfect example of a movie that has bad reviews, at least as of when I last checked on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, maybe only 10% of people would love that movie. I'm the 10% of people. So do I care what Rotten Tomatoes thinks, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's all, you, you, you have to know what your taste is, I guess. And, and Netflix and Prime and all these services now have made it so you get suggested films that it knows you will enjoy based on your individual taste. And that's a game changer. And it's probably why I've watched a lot of movies in the last couple of years that nobody has heard of. I'm, I'm sure you looked at my list and have you seen a lot of the movies that were on my list? I'm curious. Probably you gave us like six movies and I would say three of them. I was like, it, it was Uncut Gems, uh, which I'd recently watched. I also thought that was really great. Yeah. Uh, but I, because I watched it so recently, I was like, ah, I just saw that. We don't need to, <laughs> to rewatch for the podcast. Uh, there was another one. I, I don't recall what it was, but I, I think I recognized three of the six. And when I texted Victoria, I said, I don't even know what these other movies are. So let's just pick one of these three. Cause I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where. Which, which is fine. Um, but it, it's an example of what I was talking about. Cause you asked me about movies I like, and these are the, the list I gave you with the movies I I've liked from the last however many years, 10 years, maybe. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny though. Cause they're movies that I liked, but, does it mean critics like them? Probably not. Yeah, I'm looking know. at the Rotten Tomatoes for Only God Forgives, and it's got a 41% Rotten Tomato, and then the audience score is even lower, 37%. But yeah. you're, you're part of that 37 37%, so. Yeah, so does it matter? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you enjoy it, that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, I think once you get to the level of like Hollywood filmmaking and you put out a movie, someone's going to like it. There, there's bad movies all the time that people like swear by and they think it's it's actually really great yeah i think i think the formula for hollywood of course they're trying to make money right they're trying to make a movie and make millions off a movie right so how do you do that you have to make a movie that as many people you're going to make that percentage of people that would enjoy your film as high as possible so just imagine you're you're making a new movie uh people like comedies comedies sell the best so Let's get Kevin Hart and The Rock and pay them insane amounts of money, right? Like, just for example. And I'll never watch it, but it still makes millions, you know, like, 
Hey, That's man, how it works. Jumanji was fun, all right? It was <laughs> I didn't watch it. I but I don't think there's anything wrong with watching. I'm just saying, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, but it's, it's the same across the board. And, like, if you go over to, like, Broadway and musicals and stuff like yeah. that, you know, like, if you look at Broadway, it's all movie remakes that, you know, yeah. the ones that that will win the awards are the ones that are original and new and take everybody by surprise. But because it's so expensive to put a musical out there and to have it last, they have to do stuff that they know people, they don't have to, they think they have to, let me rephrase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> have yeah. to, they think they have to do stuff that, you know, oh, I know Pretty Woman, I love that movie, so let me go see the, the Broadway show. Rock then, musical. Yeah, should not yeah, have yeah. done. Should not have done. <laughs> is there, I think, yeah, go ahead. Is there a no, theater community that when a big movie actor does a theater show, like I know Brian Cranston, he had a Broadway show for a little bit. Do you ever just like, you're just like, he's just doing that because he wants to get like a Broadway credit? Or like, huh? is there ever a moment where you're like kind of judgy of the fact that like, oh, this play wouldn't exist without Brian Cranston in the lead? Well, sometimes, sometimes for sure. Like, uh, I know Scarlett Johansson did uh, a view from the bridge, the Arthur Miller thing, and she won a Tony award for it. Um, I didn't see it. So I can't say whether or not she actually like deserved the award or not. I think she's a talented actor. Um, but a lot of times, especially with straight plays and stuff like that, they don't, they don't sell as well as musicals. Mm. People, tourists will not, usually come to see a straight play unless there's a big name in it so when we had like to kill a mockingbird you know they put aaron sorkin's name all over it as like it's his version of to kill a mockingbird and it's starring jeff daniels you know if you look at the straight plays generally they will have a, a big hollywood name in it in order to get people to come see it like chris evans did um was it the lobby hero I forget it was something he was a police officer I, I recall. Yeah, I think I think I think it was the lobby hero. You know Daniel Radcliffe did a Broadway run for a little bit where he was uh naked on stage. And that's what the headline because it was like Harry Potter's naked. Oh my god. Yeah. Right when, yeah, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> wasn't it right when the cursed child started too? So I think no. like No, it was before. It was before. Okay. Cuz I think people were like someone made a meme about it at one point or another and said Oh my God! The cursed child is wild, and it was just Harry Potter on stage naked. Oh, <laughs> everyone, of course, was making that joke. But uh, yeah, sometimes you have to attach a big name to a project to really make it sell. And I think Drive is one of those movies that that happened, but for the better because Ryan Gosling came on board. He decided to do the role, and then I was looking up a bunch of information about it. And he actually hired the director and some of the visual uh, creatives behind all those cool, interesting, colorful shots that you like. So, you know, yeah, yeah I think yeah. it was a big part of those, those decisions as well. Yeah. Um, just the last thought on that, I guess. I, I, I feel like um, there are indie film fans, and you can describe Drive as an indie film if you want, but indie film fans feel like, oh, Avengers? Oh, and they, like, turn up their nose. Like, I would never watch a mainstream blockbuster film but it's like, you're just not understanding how entertainment works. Like you have to have the big blockbuster show that sells tickets and gets people to go to movie theaters 
or there's no movie theater, right? <laughs> like you can't yeah. have art house films like Drive be every um, be every one's taste. Also, I have a few friends who I recommended Drive back in the day when it came. I'm back in the day. This is like nine years ago. All right, not that long ago, but um, it's still the and, before times. <laughs> yeah, the before times. But I recommended Drive among other films I've recommended to friends over the years because friends sometimes will ask me. Uh, you know, recommend any films on Netflix or anything like that. I recommend Drive. And some of my friends that watch it were disappointed because they thought it was going to be Fast and the Furious with Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's called Drive and, you know, the trailer has him sitting in a car. Far from it. It's a completely different kind of a movie. But... Um, or probably, so what, the, what's the other one that came out that was uh, was more recent? Edgar Wright did it. Oh, it's good. Baby uh, driver. driver. Yeah. 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 Even that was, that's a different kind of a movie in yeah, a way. That was a little bit more leaned towards like what you're talking about, where it's like more yeah. act and they're doing robberies. Yeah. It was made with a more general audience in mind. It's not an art house film kind of like Drive is, you know. Um, yeah, I think that you anyway. need those big, you need Marvel and you need the Avengers so that you can have these movies like Drive contrast it in such a way that it like defies people's expectations and kind of takes them by surprise. And, you know, some people are going to like that. And some people are like, I just want to see Thor blow up a building, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, they're almost two different, completely different business models too. Yeah. Um, It's like having, it's like shopping for clothes at target or going to a boutique where someone fits it to fit your body perfectly. You know, like (laughs) it's, it's two very different experiences. And you're allowed to like both or one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and those big blockbuster films that, that, you know, the actors do allows them the financial opportunity to do a smaller film where they might have to take a pay cut, you know, in, in order to make sure that the budget of the film works. Um, that way, you know, they can do these smaller art house projects and the things that really f- feed them artistically if they do that you know, one big blockbuster. Like, I'm sure The Notebook paid for Ryan Gosling for a long, long time. Or what was the Love and Other Drugs with uh, Steve Carell? I don't know how well that did. But, you know, like those bigger name, La La Land probably paid for him to be able to do a lot of stuff for a really long time that he wants to do. He can be picky. Yeah. Yeah. A great example is uh, Robert Pattinson. I was just going to say exactly that. Yeah. Immediately after the movie came out and he did all the press for it, right after that, he was like, I can't believe I did that movie. Like, he was done with it. And then he did movies for like 10 years, built up this like indie movie notoriety. And then when he got cast as Batman, the general public was like, this is a really bad idea. But the people that have seen him in these little indie movies here and there were like, this is going to be cool. 1000% agree. 1000%. I I saw this meme this morning. It had a picture of him as uh, Edward Cullen from Twilight. And then it was like 10 10 years ago, him and then fangirls next to him, like freaking out. And then now it's him as as, uh, Batman. And then all these guys like freaking out. (laughs) You know what it is too, in in a way he had to like, okay, you did this big mainstream movie. And um, so you lose then, right? This is like, the, the subject we've been on for for a while now you lose all the indie indie fans right all those people are like ah oh, god he's mainstream right he had to come back to the indie scene 
and like you know <laughs> crawl through the mud yeah. and make all these movies to like get our approval again now he's batman and we're all like yes you know robert go robert pattinson we're a big fan you know this is funny yeah i'm excited for that movie too that movie looks a little wild colin farrell doesn't even look like colin farrell yeah i i caught that um i wasn't sure that that's what that was was that colin farrell the weird looking guy the weird looking guy with like the pointy nose he's playing the okay okay uh, which is i wasn't sure i didn't dig that much into it yeah didn't look like him they used very interesting uh or very advanced prosthetics to like make him look different to the point where he was on set walking around i saw someone talking about it on some message board or some interview and oh it was the the guy who's playing commissioner gordon I forget his name, but he's from Westworld. Jeffrey Wright, I think is his name. Yes, that's who it was. He said he walked past this this guy who looked creepy and weird six times while he was on set. And he's like, all right, are we going to film this thing? Where's Colin Farrell? <laughs> and then they were like, he's been here the whole time. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he said he freaked out because he was like, he couldn't believe that it was Colin Farrell under the layer of makeup or whatever it was. But, you know technology advances things get crazier and crazier in movies uh i'm looking forward to the future even though it looks bleak with covid and everything i'm sure we'll get back into the swing of things um yeah always good to look back on a movie like drive yeah and i guess this is and i just thought of this now because you we're, we're talking about indie movies we're talking about people uh making content of the future we're talking about actors who had to do indie stuff. Uh, remind me the name of the person who played, um, I don't even know the name, name of the group. It's it, Rock Group and um, what is this guy's name? We Will Rock You is a song. Oh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. Uh, yeah what? Um, Rami Malek. Rami Malek, yes. Rami Malek was a star actor in a video game called Until Dawn. This is roughly four years ago, five years ago. Really cool video game, cinematic game. It's made to look and feel like an indie film, but you're playing as different people in this kind of decision-making, choose-your-own-adventure environment. And Rami Malek was great in it. And then when I saw, I didn't stick with the show, but that show, Robot. I, Robot. I, Robot. Yeah. I saw that come out. I was like, that's the guy from Until Dawn. I got to watch this. I, Robot is Will Smith. Mr. Robot. Oh, Mr. Yeah. Robot. Sorry, Mr. Robot. Thank yeah. you. Um, they had robot in it. <laughs> yeah, they're both they're both robot robot stuff. Anyway, but um, and now he's the star playing the Bohemian Rhapsody guy. I'm not familiar Freddie with. Mercury, yeah. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, music fans, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So check out Until Dawn, because uh that's probably the future of filmmaking and video games and it's kind of a glimpse into what could be the, the future with that and it all comes full circle that's what yeah we yeah yeah at the beginning yeah <laughs> well this is a perfect time then thank you very much chris for coming on talking to us about 90s mtg and all the different other projects and your career uh had a great time talking to you thanks for choosing the movie drive and uh yeah just thank you for coming on the podcast Thanks for coming on, and I'll see both of you around Astoria, probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we're out outside again, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll pass by. Yeah. Hey, guys. So the goal of the Astoria Filmmakers Club is to help filmmakers in the area produce their own original work and make films that we can all enjoy. The best way to show support of this 
is to make a donation, big or small, to the club. Your donations will go directly towards the club, this podcast, and any future productions that the AFC takes on. Just scan the QR code below and it will bring you directly to the club's official Venmo page. You can make any size donation you want and we would really appreciate it. It will go directly towards us and towards members of the club and they can make cool videos and content and films and uh, we just love your support. Please show your support and make a donation today. Thank you to Chris Benucci for coming on and talking to us about all the cool stuff he's got going on, the work that he does with commercials and the different types of equipment, and talking about uh, his streaming show for Magic the Gathering and for suggesting Drive, which, like I said, I had not seen Ryan Gosling in anything else except for The Notebook, so this was yes. a nice surprise. <laughs> the Notebook is one thing, but it's just, it's still a good acting performance, but it's- I think the Notebook is a solid romantic film. It's good. It's got romance, yes. Parts of it are a little cheesy, like when they die together at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, this is going to be a two-parter where we talk about Drive and then we also talk about The Notebook. But No, no. Yeah. But, you know, so I think that, you know, I knew that he, like I said, I knew he was a solid actor. I just I had never seen him in anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was Blade Runner, the new one if you're into the old Blade Runner movie uh, well I haven't seen either of them much to the chagrin of my fiance he's very mad at me so I have a feeling that will be a watch in in my future I'm gonna for, contact for, Nick and I'm gonna say hey man Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2021 need to get on it <laughs> is it 2021 Which, I thought what? it was 2049 2049 that's what it was yeah what am I thinking? Twenty twenty one. That's something else. But that that okay. that's when hopefully all this COVID mess is done. That's what you're thinking. Twenty forty nine sounds more right because I was like, that's super recent or super, it's coming up. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he he's definitely done some other roles. Ryan Gosling. Uh, this is definitely one of his earlier things that he did where he kind of broke his mold a little bit. Uh, I think in, at least in more of a mainstream sense because this movie blew up a little bit when it came out. Uh, a lot of big actors in it. Yeah. Oscar. I, I think that also he doesn't talk that much in this film. He let's let's talk about this. He doesn't have a name. Right. Just the driver. Yeah. Uh, really cool because people ask him like, so what do you do? They don't even ask him his name. He's just like, I drive. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes in 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 films, you know you're waiting for like the big reveal of like what made this person who they are why are they the way they are but i didn't need that from him like i you know after the fact after the movie's over i'm thinking like how did he get these driving skills where did he come from how does he know how to kill somebody like he did in that motel room like uh you know i i'm i want to know all that stuff after the fact but the movie is so well done that in the moment I'm so on the edge of my seat about what's going to happen next, even though it's not like crazy action packed or anything. Like it's just, it's the tension is so perfect in this film that I'm really interested in just what's immediately happening right now, instead of, you know, losing myself. And how did he become this way? What is his history? What is his name? I didn't even realize until most of the way through the film that I didn't know his name. Yeah, he didn't need it. The movie, and I'm like, that's Ryan Gosling. Like, I don't, 
I don't need to know the character name. Like, there's a lot of movies that I just won't remember a character's name, you know? But I've always talked about this too, not with, I don't think I've ever talked about it with you, but I always thought like movies that don't have specific characters, like if you write a movie like Drive, that the character, it's playing a, an original character that's not really, it's not important. If the actor gets cast as that character, mm-hmm. name that character Ryan, because it's Ryan Gosling. It would make it easier, and then I don't have to fucking remember, like, oh, that character's name is Adam, but he's played by Ryan Gosling. You know, if you have, like, a, something that's written by, and actually Drive is based on a book, uh, so, I mean, I guess, I don't know if there is a name for this character in the book, but, um, you know, certain things that aren't adapted, that are original stories, just name it the actor's name. Make it easy. I always name I mean- when I write a film and I'm, I don't know what to name the characters yet, I think like, okay, well, I want my friend to play this character. His name is Mike. So the character's name is Mike now. And that's it. It makes yeah. it easy for me. See, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes, like, I know, like, in The Office, some of the, um, uh, some of the characters are named after their uh, actor's names, like Angela, Oscar, um, Phyllis. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's, ne- that's necessary all the time. But, like, I also, you know, I, like I said, I didn't feel like I needed to know his name. I just needed to stay on him and see what he was doing next. Figure out his past or his future. Or you want to know more, which is a good sign of the movie being good because you want to know more about the character. Mm-hmm. Um, Something that completely threw me off, though, through most of this film is um oh, what was albert brooks what was his character name he was um shannon who is brian cranston uh his friend mm-hmm. um albert brooks's character um he's uh a jewish mobster um who started in in films and that's how he met shannon brian cranston um albert brooks the first thing i ever saw quote-unquote him in was Finding Nemo he plays Nemo's father Marlon so I have like this childhood realize that yeah I have this like childhood like attachment to his voice so hearing that voice say and do all of these horrible things like threw me off through so much of the film so I was like that's Nemo's dad and he's killing Brian Cranston with a straight razor like (laughs) Really, Nemo's dad? I don't see that in his acting credits here. Yeah, he played Marlin. Oh, you're I'm right. Looking at him. Yeah, see. Wow. I know he's done. I was like, so oh, many other things. Holy shit, that's so weird. Because I, if he said Nemo, I would have freaked out. Yeah, been- I mean, I know he's done so many other things, and obviously, like, it's actors hope that they're, you know their performance is strong enough that you don't just think of like, it's this actor in this role or it's this character in this role. But when that's the only thing and like, it's his voice more than anything, it's like such a connective thing for me. Like it just threw me off for a little while. Um, It took me a bit to get over it. (laughs) all, All these actors are huge actors. Even some of them were kind of in the beginning stages of their careers when the film came out too. Not all of them, but a few of them. Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, 
Brian Cranston, Albert Brooks, Oscar Isaac, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, uh, and everybody in this movie was really good too. Even yeah. the kid that played Benicio, uh, yeah. he does many other things. I don't think he's had any other roles, but he was great. You know, he was a little kid. He was cute. Um, Brian Cranston can do no wrong, as far as I'm concerned. After Breaking Bad, he's just like fantastic and. Uh, I think it was weird to see, because it almost had Breaking Bad vibes, this movie. Mm. It was weird to see him not at the forefront of the movie, but I think that speaks to his talent a little bit, is that he can play, like, the skeevy, like, auto mechanic guy who's just kind of skeeving his way through life. And He's the one organizing all of these, like, criminal things for the driver to do, to be the getaway person and all that stuff. He's organizing all of that stuff. Um, you know, at Brian Cranston, it's, he's so incredibly talented. And so is Ryan Gosling. Like they, they were able to convey so much without speaking. Um, Brian Cranston did talk a lot, but in that last scene, in the scene where he dies, there's so much that he expresses without speaking and it's- yeah. He, he knows that his death is coming. We know that his death is coming. There, his expression and the other guy's expression is just like, we know it's coming. We know it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. I was almost expecting Brian Cranston's character, Shannon. I was yes. expecting him to just be like, just make it quick and like close his eyes or something. And then he shoots him in the head or something silly like that. Then when he shook hands and he sliced his arm, I was like, ah, oh. Oh God, it was so, oh, no. And even then, the actor, the actor going, and that's it, it's over, it's over, it's done. It's yeah. Over. Oh my God, this is a uh, <laughs> uh, I, The cinematography in this film was incredible. It's definitely, the director had a very specific vibe, feel um, that he wanted for this film. And it all, it all went together so well the way that the um scenes were shot the music whatever the color correction whatever they did with um the filters um there was a lot of like blue light there was a lot of almost like a neon feel to it mm -hmm. um which was you know it just it lent itself and the music is something i didn't expect that's like the soundtrack is not something that I expected from this film. I thought that there was going to be a, a rather stereotypical, like someone wrote a score that's like dramatic and all of this stuff, but the music so is not that. Yeah, you, you would expect heavy dramatic music, but instead they were like, nah, let's just do some electronica, like crazy. It, it, it worked, it, I think it worked really well Mm -hmm. um, I love when films do that with music. I love when they do something so unexpected and it, it, do, it, it changes the whole vibe of the film. It didn't like make it lighthearted or anything, but it definitely like gave you a very different feel of this world that they were creating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think the cinematography was really done very well. Uh, it was executed great. The lighting was really fun and exceptional and lots of bright colors too like it was very interestingly shot um i loved too i loved the shot where uh where the driver he has that guy cook and he comes up to him he hits him with a hammer and he knocks him on the ground and all the uh like strippers from the club are just kind of sitting around watching it happen 
Mm -hmm. I love the shot where he stands up and he's on the phone. He looks super intimidating. He's got the hammer. I think they wound up, that shot landed so well that they made it into a movie poster because of the way it looked. Mm. Just, you know, sometimes all you got to do is film someone from a low angle and they look super intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he was like literally like shaking with rage at that point. Something else I thought was really interesting was like, you could tell what a great actor he is because he's in a scene with a bunch of topless women and you're looking at him. Yep. <laughs> you right. know, he, he... There's boobs everywhere, but I cannot not look at Ryan, Reynolds, uh, Ryan Gosling. Exactly. <laughs> because it's such an intimidating scene, too, where he, the guy's on the... He's totally fucked. There's nothing. And then when they come back to the future scene where they show that guy again, where he's in the casts and the wire thing, and he's all fucked up. Mm-hmm. It was crazy that they were like trying to figure out who they had to kill to clean up this mess. Like, who knows who can tie him, uh, Ron Perlman's character, to all the murders or to the to the bank heist. And they looked at him and they were like, "Like, oh, we gotta kill that guy." It was so. Right, and Albert Brooks is the one who did it. Like, he's so unassuming. Like, you could tell like he's an asshole, but like, I didn't think he was as vicious. And I think that's one of the brilliant things is like to have someone who seems so unassuming be the one. I figured Ron Perlman, if anything, was going to be the one to like kill somebody. But you don't, I don't think, you don't watch him kill anybody. No. But he's a big, huge, tough guy. You figure, yeah. But no, Albert Brooks is the one who stabs the guy in the eye with a fork. I did love Ron Perlman's whole monologue about the Italian mob and how they're yeah. kind of like the under there. And He's like, I'm 59 years old. They still pinch my fucking cheeks like I'm a little kid. And I was like, oh, that's so, it, it's such a good monologue because you're like, I remember every Italian member of my family that pinches my cheeks or even kisses me on the cheek. And I'm like, I'm 30, bro. What are you doing? Um, but it's just crazy that that the dynamic of like the Italian mob and this like very small crime family of like Jewish mob and like all that stuff was worked into it and laid in really well and interestingly. Apparently the book was written in a very non-linear format and it kept bouncing around. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a lot of trouble adapting the screenplay to be a linear story that people could follow because the book is written very differently in timeline from a perspective of the timeline. Mm-hmm. But I think once Ryan Gosling got on board, he took on like a bit of a production leadership role and found the director and found a lot of the other members of the team, which is pretty cool to see an actor invested in that side of the camera, you know? Yeah. Um, but well, actually, I was looking at after I was looking at his IMDb page after this and because I was curious as someone who hasn't seen him in anything else, um, I was curious as to the projects that he did pick. And obviously, like, I've heard of La La Land, I've heard of Blue Valentine, I've heard of all these other things. But he's listed under a lot of shorts as a writer. Now, I don't know, sometimes it seems like it's, like, writer, like, there's the name of the short writer, and then it has in parentheses, like, a title of something. So I don't know if, like, he wrote music or he wrote something specific in it. But he is involved in a lot of, like, I'm guessing they're passion projects for him. Like they're things that he really wants to spend the time doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, that one film that Chris was talking about, Blue Valentine, he's an executive producer on that. Hmm. He's got uh, five other producer credits as well. Um, There's a movie called Lost River in 2014 that he actually directed. 
Uh, he has a stunt credit here. Transportation department. Oh, I guess drive because he's the driver. <laughs> Usually a transportation department credit is like the guy who drives the lighting truck around. He <laughs> did have that whole scene where he is a, playing a stunt driver. And that's yeah. I forgot about that scene. So when it came up, I was like, wait, he's a cop? I forgot. And like, yeah, I, yeah. Not that he was like pretending to be a cop and then he put on the whole silicone face and I was like oh yeah okay mm -hmm. um yeah but he's he's got a bunch of crazy credits here too that you know you wouldn't think about necessarily he he's one of those actors too that I think is underrated and I think until he one day just caves and does like a Marvel movie or something he's going to be one of those really good actors that stands out and every time he puts out a movie people are going to go see it um and I think when he eventually, you know, I feel like all big actors, eventually they do like a superhero something, uh, which I would love Ryan Gosling to do because he's so talented, but I don't think he would, I don't know if he would fit into Marvel, maybe DC, maybe he'd have a spot there because he's, uh, he's really good. He's really, and DC's taking a heavier tone and I feel like they might be on a comeback right now. I want to, I don't want to jinx anything, but they have the Snyder cut being teased have all this build up to their future movies that potentially if you were to take on a cool role you'd see him as Green Lantern that'd be really cool I mean maybe he doesn't want to do superhero movies well maybe he fucking should anyway <laughs> I, I get so excited about superhero movies and I see it too. I, some people are like put off by them. And I, I guess Chris feels that way where he's like, ah, superhero movies, big Hollywood blockbuster movie. But there's obviously the ones that are like that where you're like, oh, this is just, this is like a theme park ride. This is all this is. And then there's other ones that are so well thought out and their storylines are really well thought out. Like you have the civil, like anything that the Russo brothers did, those yeah. were good. They had very in-depth stories and was written really well. I feel like if those guys or that someone else that took on a similar style did a superhero movie, you know, you could make it work. I feel like even like Martin Scorsese, he used to call superhero movies theme park rides. But if you said, here, Martin Scorsese, make a superhero movie, he, he'd do it, probably. <laughs> he threw enough money at him, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if he needs it at this point, but. No, I don't think he needs it. Not if he sees them as theme park rides, I don't think he'd do it. <laughs> I'm curious what a Martin Scorsese superhero film would look like. He'd probably set Batman back in the in like the 40s and make it like a detective thing. You know what he should do? Because they have that one, uh, they have Spider-Man, but they have the one that's like a neo-noir detective and he's got like monocles and a, and a bowler and he walks around in a trench coat mm. in the 40s. Martin Scorsese should make that movie with that version of Spider-Man, where he's like solving mysteries, but he's also Spider-Man. That would be interesting. That'd be cool. Casting Robert De Niro as Spider-Man. <laughs> it would happen. It could, it could happen. It's possible. You never know. Italian mobster Spider-Man. <laughs> that make itself. You have to admit, that would be really interesting. You heard that movie was coming out, you'd be like, I need to know what this is all about. I need to see this trailer. You might not I, like it. I'd see the trailer. I can't guarantee that I would pay money to see it. Be curious enough to be like, okay, I need to see what this is all about. And that's enough for your interest. And that's all you need. 
Um, but yeah, so I mean that drive too was, I, I loved all the just cool shots of him driving around. That was like what he did. It seemed like too, he, the, the, the scenes where he came home from working all day driving, mm -hmm. put his stuff down, he just threw his bag down and then he left immediately and just went out driving because he loves driving. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really cool way of just like explaining his character, like what's he all about? And it's just, I drive, that's it. People yeah. ask him what he does, and he's just I drive. Um, man of few words, obviously he didn't say much. Yeah. It all goes sideways when he meets his neighbor and he starts getting feelings for his neighbor and the neighbor's kid. And then the husband comes back and it complicates things and tries to do right by them. Well, I have to say, Carrie Mulligan played that, towed that line very interestingly of where she clearly loved her husband who was in jail, but she was developing feelings for the driver um, in this whole thing. And you, could, you can see it. She also doesn't talk that much. But in, in those scenes and in those moments where she is with her husband or she's with the driver, she's with both of them, you can see kind of that internal struggle um, of her trying to pick apart how she feels. Um, at the end of the day, obviously everything she does is for her kid and making sure things are, he's taken care of and things are okay with him. But she, she definitely walks that line very well. It's a very subtle performance. It's a beautiful performance. Um, and she, and again, she didn't have that many lines. So I think, I think she, she did that really, really well. Yeah. I was expecting you to have a, uh, strong opinion upon the female representation of this film. Oh, I do. Yeah. I think it's, it's like annoying. Woman that needs help. And Ryan, Ryan Gosling's like, oh, I'll, I'll take you away from all this and I'll protect you. But then she slapped the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. Right. Said that. And I was like, that was, that, I think that was the right move because it was just like, that's not the answer to this problem. And that, that was the director's way of telling the audience, like, that's not the answer to this problem. Mm -hmm. you're, you're imagining a fairy tale, which isn't going to exist. And that's not how it works. Which... I mean, there, there was a lot of things that I think, as much as I enjoyed the movie, I, you know, being where we are now, I think there's some problematic things about it. Um, you know, representation of like people of color, especially Hispanic people in this film and, you know, the helpless female. And of course there are only two female roles. One of them gets killed off like immediately. They're both white. Like, you know, I think obviously those are, those are issues that I think we're gonna, we're be able to find those issues in almost all of the films that we see. There's going to be something because um, it's all told from a white male lens. But you know, I we could sit here and have an, an hour-long podcast about issues with all of those those things too. We can acknowledge them. Obviously, I definitely think that there's the issues more murder. There was murder uh, also. <laughs> That's not I mean, unproblematic. No, no, obviously, but like, I think that. I don't think that's a fair not comparison. A fair. No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they, from the social justice perspective, there's a lot wrong with this movie. Yeah. 
I mean, I would be really interested to see if it, and it, I also would be interested to see this film almost if like the roles were like flipped and it maybe if it was like, uh, you know, a female in Ryan Gosling's role or especially a Hispanic female and just got to help out like a white dude instead of like all of this, let me help out this white woman who's helpless over here and there's no other representation of color besides this one guy who was in jail. You know, like, yes, those are issues with this film. Right. But, you okay. know. Carrie Mulligan is the driver. Oscar Isaac is the single father taking care of his son, trying to get by in this tough world. And then would it, would it be, would Ryan Gosling, would he come in and he'd be the criminal getting out of jail? Sure. Yeah. Why not? And then. And then Christina Hendricks is in charge of the mob. Right. <laughs> That's, that's perfect. The Just flip it all on its head. <laughs> the Jewish mob. Um, I, I just think that like a good exercise for a lot of people to do, including myself in the roles that I write, is when I'm writing something um, and I have a specific, and if I automatically think of like the role of a doctor and something I'm writing, do I automatically think of it as a white dude? Why? Change it. Is it necessary? Like that you have to actually think about those things. And I think a lot of films don't do that, but. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people bank on stereotypes and sometimes it's okay because they do it in, in a comedy and they poke fun at what they're doing and they kind of make fun of it. Like when Ken Jeong does anything, <laughs> they poke fun at the fact that he's an Asian doctor just mm. doing comedy now and they, they make fun of that. I think when you kind of point out the stereotype and you poke fun at it and you bring light to it a little bit, it can be usable. But outside of comedy and that occasional reference of when that works, it's stereotyping and sometimes you just want to get away from that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like it is a fine line to walk of like what is, you know, the experience for people of color and like what are they living under like, you know, the way that we are in the world today, you want to be truthful to that, but you also don't want to want to dive into these, you know, stereotypes that hurt people and are harmful. So, I mean, I like Drive. I think it's a good film, but I think there is room for people to kind of flip it on its head and to do something in the future where if you're going to write a role for a stunt driver, does it have to be a white dude? You know, like just think about stuff like that <laughs> yeah. yeah it could it could possibly and now, now I guess kind of on this subject let's chat really quick about Chadwick Boseman oh. and he's such a symbol for diversity in films and he brought this amazing character he brought an entire culture into superhero films that just hasn't been there before the big African culture with Black Panther and everything else. I mean, he and too, not even just Black Panther. He became like an icon with Black Panther, but uh, for his other roles too, where he played Jackie Robinson and and James Brown and who, yeah. who else did he play? He did a couple of huge roles. Edward Marshall. Yeah, he played such huge characters that existed in real life, and he was just such a very talented actor. The fact that he had been suffering with cancer for the last four years in silence pretty much blew my mind the fact that he was doing all these movies whilst going through that 
and it was, you know, not a word spoken about it publicly. I feel like he had to have told Disney at one point or another and been like, guys, I'm really, really sick. I don't think I'm going to come back from this or something because I think they're contractually obligated to. I don't know if that's true, but it's still just a crazy situation and, you know, very tragic that he passed away. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad, though, that, that nobody's chalking it up as a COVID death. They're just saying, like, he died of cancer. That's what he had. Uh, but, man, you look back at, like, the, the people that we lost this year, it's been beyond, like, police brutality and stuff like that. A lot of icons and, and stars that we've lost. A lot of people from, from, uh, from communities of color. I feel like we've lost so many. Kobe Bryant, Naya Rivera, Chadwick Boseman, like, you know, we're losing a lot. Um, Who's the politician? During, during a very painful time. Yeah, there was, a, there was a presidential candidate, too, that I forget his name, but he... Also Henry, uh, Herman Cain. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of crazy what's going on. And, I mean, Chadwick Boseman passing away was really sad. Brought it was sad. It was shocking. Yeah. Uh, definitely wanted to acknowledge that because he's he's a huge symbol for the African American community and uh, you know any kid who's like a young black five year old who looks at Superman he looks at Batman he looks at Wonder Woman he looks at all these superheroes that are all white then he sees Black Panther and he can finally identify with one of them mm -hmm. and himself as a superhero or people like him like a superhero I think that's important so yep yep completely agree. Um, I'm going to be interested to see which direction, because obviously Black Panther was so huge, they're not just going to stop. Um, yeah. And and I think Black Panther was slated to, it's slated to have a sequel. Um, it was supposed to start during COVID, but obviously they postponed. So in terms of how this would... I don't even know if he would have been well enough. I don't know. I mean, he obviously was last couple months on death's door because it, yeah. it had to have been. Um, but he, you know, about a year ago too, he did some interviews where he was looking super skinny and people were like kind of poking fun at him because they were like shocked that he was so thin and they were like, yo, this dude looks so weird. And they were like cracking jokes, but nobody had any idea that they were making fun of him and that he was just going through chemotherapy, you know, no one yeah. knew. Um, so. Uh, I know. mean, I'm seeing a lot of people posting online hoping that like they do what they did I think in the comic books I could be wrong I'm not a comic book aficionado but doesn't if it exists it happens if it's an idea you can have it's an idea that already happened in the comic books well I think Shuri takes up the Black Panther mantle at some point in the comic books right yeah so in terms of what this could mean for Marvel and their superhero movies I imagine it as a scenario where Black Panther's sister Shuri um, becomes the actual new Black Panther because she's the one too designing the suits, making the technology. Like when he wears the suit, she made that. Mm -hmm. um, and then they kind of, I, I don't know if they would kill off Black Panther, T'Challa. I don't know. If, it seems like kind of a bad look to kill off a character played by an actor that just died in real life. That might be tricky. So I, I would see it almost as a more of a thing like, oh, Black Panther, like, or T'Challa, he's still around, 
he's just in the background because he's working on the politics of being a king and that there's no time for being a superhero during all this. So Black Panther, there's no point in that. And, you know, he's kind of passes it to his sister who can take on that mantle and be more free to go to superhero type shit. I think that would be the route Marvel could take, which would allow them to also have a young black female superhero, which would also be really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it's not even like seeing a positive in all this, but it's, you know, it's, it could be the outcome. That trying to figure out a good direction that they can take from this awful place. Let's be real. This is a billion dollar industry and Black Panther is one of their biggest successes. They're not going to just stop, you know, yeah. I don't think though, I, I really doubt that they would recast. I don't think that that's a thing Marvel does. They, they did it with the Hulk at the very beginning of the Marvel Universe, but people build such a huge connection to these characters that when it comes to like the main characters and the heroes, they become the image of that character. So it's really tough to recast someone. Like yeah. they're gonna recast Tony Stark. They're not gonna recast Captain America. No. They're gonna cast the mantle of those heroes onto the next, so like they did with Falcon. They'll probably yeah. be similar with Shuri. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll see what happens. That was a big tangent, but you know, yes. back to drive. That was good. Drive. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a solid movie. Yeah. I did enjoy it, despite I, the gore. Really great time. All the all the slow build up to the big punchy action stuff. I think it it earned its place as being a little gruesome because in reality, that's probably more aligned with what would actually happen. You shoot somebody in the back four times, that's what it's gonna look like. They're gonna mm -hmm. get shot, they're gonna die, and it's gonna be over. It's gonna be brutal, and it's gonna be quick. So, yeah. yeah. Christina Hendricks' death was... Oh, that was rough. She, you know, she needs to stay ahead of the game. Um, she, you know, I'm trying to think of head puns, but they blew her head apart. So it's yeah. really, you know, yeah. uh, with a shotgun. And I think yeah. it, that was crazy too because Ryan he he got the driver got shot while he was doing all that he got hit with the shotgun from the other guy yeah. you know he saw it coming so he threw the mattress up and got a little coverage and got blocked uh, and I think that's when everything went very sideways because of the the robbery so yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a solid film and it definitely shows a lot of range for the actors um, and it's something that you should watch if you haven't. It is on Netflix and you know, it premiered, let's, let's spout off some facts about the film as well. It premiered at the 2011 Cannes Film Festival where it received a standing ovation. Uh, the festival also awarded the director with the best director award. Um, the, it was praised for its cinematography performances, particularly Gosling and Brooks as well. Uh, the musical score, the visuals, the action sequences, some critics didn't really like it because of the brutal violence and they thought that would deter from its marketability because you want to be able to market and be appealing to the widest of audiences. And I guess the widest of audiences don't want to see someone's head get blown in half. Mm. Um, surprisingly. <laughs> it Also, when it comes to the Oscars, it only received best sound editing, which blows my mind. You would think it would get something else, cinematography. Yeah or even Best Picture nomination, because it was it was really great. I think it, if, if it had been nominated for Best Picture, I wouldn't have batted an eye. I would have thought 100% it was nominated. Yeah. 
but I don't know exactly what else came out in 2011 that took those nominations, but, you know. Yeah. Um, but the star-studded cast, you know, the budget, too, for this movie was not all that high, considering all the big actors that they have in it. Uh, $15 million, which, if you know, like, Marvel movies, the budget mm -hmm. just, like, one of the actors is like five to 10 or 15 million for some of the bigger ones. Robert Downey Jr. got like 25 to $50 million per movie. So the budget for this entire movie being 15 million is pretty crazy. And at the box office, it pulled in 81.4 million. So it definitely turned profit. Well, I'll tell you why I didn't get a best picture nomination um, of 2011. 2011 Academy Awards, Whereas The King's Speech, mm. Black Swan, The wow. Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, 127 Hours, The Social Network, and Toy Story 3 were the Best Picture nominees. So, the Wild win Driver is great. <laughs> the winner, obviously, being Sto Toy Story 3. Uh, as it should have been, but... <laughs> well, do we know the actual winner of 2011's Oscar run? That's it. King's Speech or Black Swan? It might have been King's Speech. Um, uh, let's see. Best picture was the King's Speech, yes. Yeah. That was a great movie, too. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Drive, I feel like, should have gotten a little bit more actual awards or recognition, but some people just don't like the brutal violence. I feel like we're a little more desensitized from it nowadays because of movies like Deadpool getting a little bit more bloody and gruesome and things like that but you know 2011 it was a different time that was before the no-no time of coronavirus COVID. before the no-no time before the bad oh uh, i think i may have actually gotten that year wrong it came out in 2011 which means it would have been available for 2012 right that would have been the year i mean they, they would have said oscars 2012 like they would have said it's 2011 oscars you know what i mean well, it came out in 2011. Right. So it would have been for the 2012 Oscars. Yeah, but like if the Oscars says, hey, this is the 2011 Oscars, you know, even though it's playing in February of 2012, they're talking about it like it's 2011, it's the subject matter, you know? Right, no, I know that. I, I understand what you're saying. I looked up the Oscars that happened in February of 2012, 2011 which means ah. Drive wouldn't have come out yet. <laughs> right. There you go. But still, that year, the best picture was The Artist. Then there was The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, To Help, Hugo, Midnight in Paris. Moneyball was nominated for best picture. Drive should have been Man, nominated before Moneyball. Those movies. I saw one of them that you said, and like... All of those could have been knocked out by Drive, and I wouldn't have betted an eye. <laughs> All right, I take back what I said before. If you if, put it, if it had... <laughs> in Toy Story 3 and the King's Speech and Black Swan, I'm like, damn, those are some contenders. But you put Drive in with all those other movies, and I'm like, where the fuck is Drive at? Let's go. Mm -hmm. That's all surprising. Um, but it's definitely worth a watch. If you're a little squeamish from Blood and Gore like Victoria... Maybe just precursor warning before you watch the movie. Uh, Ryan Gosling does bash in some people's heads and arms with a hammer. People's throats are getting cut. It's pretty bloody and violent. So Fork in an eyeball. 
fork in an eyeball. Be yeah. aware. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, but just be ready for Nemo's father to stab a guy in the face. Yep. Yep. Nemo! <laughs> and on that happy note... <laughs> Super happy note. Thank you guys for tuning into the AFC podcast. Friendly reminder to watch us on YouTube, but also listen to us if that's more appealing to you on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Castbox. Uh, thank you to Chris Benucci for coming on the podcast and telling us a little bit about your career and talking to us about Drive. Really appreciate it. And everyone should check out his stuff. 90s MTG is his live stream show where they play Magic the Gathering and He's got some previously before COVID film projects out there as well on his website that we will definitely put the links and stuff so everyone can check it out. But for the AFC podcast, I'm Jim Galizia. And I'm Victoria Pagnito. We'll catch you guys next time.